4 is sponsored by the Centre for Disability Awareness. Violently assaulting able-bodied people who pretend they're asleep when using the disabled access seats. Monson Jackson, Series 2, Episode 4, Bolt. siren sounded. A craft was approaching the secure port. Weapons were aimed. It didn't matter the craft was emblazoned with medical symbols or had an approved flight plan. The prison planet did not take kindly to outsiders. The craft landed and waited patiently while an arsenal of weaponry, equivalent to an average Texan family home back on old planet Earth, surrounded it. Its credentials were checked and checked again. Everything seemed in order. Open the pod bay doors. Priva stepped out into the landing bay area. She smiled as a cluster of guards checked her and her medical kit. Again, everything seemed in order. There were only a few who knew that smile and what it meant. It was not a friendly gesture, but a mask. Priva was here on business. The guards waved her towards reception so that her medical kit could be checked for compliance. And naturally, she hadn't done anything foolish like bring a weapon or escape equipment in with her to help or indeed injure a relative. The prison was well aware of her relationship to Monsoon Jackson, the estranged sister of Elijah Tors, his ex by the most darkest of reasons. As she was led to reception, a number of prisoners were moved towards the craft, this was their last day in prison. They were free, but only some were to be reunited with their families. For others, a fate worse than prison awaited them. The Repatriation Act passed two generations after colonization. It was a reaction to the number of homeless people cluttering up, as the politicians put it, the new worlds. For those who'd lost their jobs, suffered an emotional loss, or generally found themselves in difficult circumstances, there was no support from the council. So they would slip into the underground, sleeping in the heating vents, in used parts of the buildings. They found ways to be invisible, just as most of society felt that they should be. Efforts were made to disperse them. Metal bolts on the floors, metal shutters in doorways, paying ignorant scum to physically abuse and, in some cases, torture them. The councils did all they could think of to cure the problem, but the homeless continued to exist, and no amount of money was going to be spent on solving that issue. The final cruelty was the Repatriation Act, which made homelessness illegal. If caught, you'd be arrested and imprisoned because, well, because it was easier than having to face up to being decent and human about others in desperate need. Following your sentence, you'd be deported back to Earth unless a family member suddenly decided to treat you as a family member and made reassurances that you'd be supported and kept off the streets. For those without family, it was a one-way ticket back to Earth. Then everyone could just forget about you and get back to buying electronic toys they didn't need, 
rather than evolving as compassionate human beings. So much less demanding, after all. There'd been protests when the act first passed, and even a number of crowds turning up outside the council offices to shout down such a decision. But after time, that mainly became being horrified about it on social media, which could be comfortably ignored by everyone. For every person who commented about it being wrong, you were assured someone would have had a family member affected by one of them vagrants or worse. Throw in accusatory assaults and wild claims of disease, and any chance of having a sensible discussion would be lost in a shouting, seething sea of opinion, conjecture, and hatred. And so it became council policy to clean up the streets and rid their planet of these things. Important not to refer to them as people, or humans, or even members of a family. They were things, unidentifiable things, to be removed and forgotten about. For most people, this was just fine, and the right and proper decision. They didn't want to see these things when they went out for a meal. Why should they have to give over their money to these things? These undeserving things. The wretched scum. And worst of all, those people had no problem with living their lives that way. Right up until being notified that they lost their job. Back on the landing zone, it was obvious which prisoners were being prepared for return to Earth. They were chained and restrained. The prison guards were taking no risks. Most of them were crying and pleading to stay in prison. They would do anything, go to any level, anything than go back to Earth, with no chance of a future. It was the same ritual every time and the guards were immune to their pleading. They were kettled in a container at the back of the craft. The door closed. The prisoners lucky enough to be returning home were allowed to sit up front in chairs. They were still human, not the things in the box at the back. The craft would now wait for the medical examiner to return. They'd get to sit with the prisoners, because they weren't prisoners anymore, but citizens. They'd served their time and could return to freely wander their planet. Whether they were remorseful or changed their ways was irrelevant to the prison process. A length of their lives was considered all that was needed. And behind this, some people had decided how much time for each offence. While it was quite complicated, it tended to be that if it involved the wealthy, the sentence would be punitive and slowly reduced from there. If you were a low-paid worker, you could expect to see your assailant again in sometimes less than a year. But that was how life was valued, on money, as it always had been and always would be. The council was only interested in protecting those that could fund them and would even help them to avoid paying taxes, to ensure they had spare money for those little extras they couldn't do without, like a second home they never used. I mean, it was important to keep these homes empty, not as if there was anyone looking for a place to sleep, like the homeless. It was an inevitable consequence of money that making large amounts of it involved doing bad things, whether it was historic, like overt slavery, or ongoing, like supplying drugs or personal data. Making money was rarely achieved without sacrificing the good in you. 
Even the young rich had fallen for the shiny lure of wealth. They'd quite happily sell off your information, misinform you, treat you as a product, if it meant that they could just make a bit more money. For once you had some, it was never enough. Never, ever enough. You had to have more. And having more meant you had to sell off the last vestiges of your soul. It didn't matter who suffered, whose lives were so much less than they could have been, as long as you had lots of money. You didn't care about consequence. All that mattered was you, 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 you. Unfortunately, a lot of people tolerated this because they also wanted money. To be part of your fortune, to suck at the rancid teat of profit that bled from your cold heart. Of course, that wasn't how you saw it. They were loyal staff, good people. They agreed with you. They were the best. Not like those losers who droned on about principles or standards. Since when did that make you rich? Priva began her rounds. There was a long queue of patients. For the most part, it was patching up drug sores and checking on healing stab wounds. After all, there wasn't much else to do in prison. For Priva, the second queue was of more interest, those with augmentations. They required special attention as the suppression field used in the prison put an intolerable strain on their bodies. The level of damage to muscles and tendons was difficult to treat, but she did what she could with the medical kit allowed in prison. Of course, there was another reason this queue had her attention. There he was, skulking at the back, trying to assess her, trying to guess if she was going to heal or harm him. The fool. The man who'd single-handedly orchestrated the death of her mother. The man who turned her brother from a kind-hearted soul into a monster. The man who would never be king. She had something special store for Monsoon Jackson. Whether he would survive was up to fate. She would at least give him that. Monsoon was slowly moving towards her. He was conscious his nerves were making him bob about like a penguin. He'd only seen them in cartoons on account of them being extinct. Some kind of bird that died out years ago but was still inexplicably used in marketing to bring a smile. This was an interesting end to the species who had, in reality, died horribly as the last of their habitat melted away, while new luxury houses were built on their breeding grounds. The walls around the properties forced them to live in the dark, plastic-topped sea, turning to cannibalism to stay alive. Until they weren't. But that was okay. As long as there was takeaway delivery and game shows on a Saturday night, everything was going to be fine. Someone else will be sorting out the big issues. There was always someone else to do that. Until there wasn't. It felt like an age until Monsoon sat down. Priva looked at him with an expressionless face. The guards looked over but weren't that bothered. They were paid regardless of how many people were alive in the prison. So where was the incentive? There was an awkward silence only broken by Priva having to do her duty. Give me your arm. Monsoon hesitated, but how long could he not? He held out his arm, 
Priva grabbed it firmly. Monsoon felt compelled to say something. Priva, I... She cut him off. Hmm, this arm's gonna need some repairs. You must be in a lot of pain with these joints being out of calibration. Priva pressed down on one of the joints. Monsoon tensed his jaw and face to prevent himself from yelling out. This did nothing to stop Priva pressing in harder until he let out a small yelp in agony. So, that's a yes then. She held her compression for much longer than was necessary before letting go. Monsoon slumped back. There was sweat forming on his face from the pain. If you're going to do it, do it. Why wouldn't you want to stay here for the rest of your life, serving your sentence for murder? Priva looked directly at Monsoon. She hissed back at him. Oh, I'd be lucky to do one, killing the man who masterminded the murder of my mother and turning my brother into a psycho. Without warning, she grabbed one of Monsoon's augmented legs. It was clearly partially seized, so yanking it straight would cause a huge amount of pain. She yanked it straight. Monsoon's pain sensors went into overdrive, and he leapt up from the chair, crying out in pain. The guards looked over for a moment, but nothing looked like it would warrant a bonus payment, so they carried on walking around the perimeter of the medical center. He fell heavily back into the chair, and for the first time, Priva smiled. I have to inject some fluids into the secondary lines. They're difficult to get at without taking the leg apart, but I'll just keep stabbing away until I get it. Before Monsoon could respond, she jabbed a long needle in between the metal joints. Oh no, a miss. She lifted and jabbed the needle down again into his leg. This time it stuck, and she pushed hard on the plunger, forcing the needle further down in between the joints. Monsoon was not only sweating, but had gone pale. He was feeling sick. I need a break. You know the damage the dampening field does. You're right, I do. Without hesitation, Priva pulled the other leg straight. Monsoon gripped the chair as best he could. Almost every fiber of his being was begging him to make this stop. Unfortunately, the tiny, stubborn part of him had headphones on and was pretending to be asleep so it didn't have to notice the frail old person hoping it would give up his priority seat for them. She injected the leg on the third successful attempt. The final checks were for diseases inherited in a closed-loop system such as prison. It was usually respiratory, which required an intimate check of monsoons, lungs, and airways. In hospitals, this would be done in seconds using very complicated and expensive scanners. Unfortunately, in prison, such equipment was banned, mainly because some of the inmates would very quickly figure out a way to weaponize it or make alcohol, usually alcohol. So Priva was obliged to use methods that didn't have to hurt, but very much could do. For most patients, this would be a camera on a long stem passed down the throat. It was uncomfortable, but relatively pain-free, and left no lasting mark. Monsoon looked over at the device she'd taken from her medical bag. It definitely looked too big to be put down the throat. Priva made an unnecessarily large incision on Monsoon's chest and drove the viewing scope into the gap. The scope scanned his lungs and other nearby organs. A small screen lit up green with a tick, just in case you were colorblind. Priva turned the results screen off and looked intently at the images. She carried on moving the scope around inside Monsoon's chest cavity. 
Monsoon was caught between trying not to squirm around and desperately wanting to move around as he could feel the instrument inside of him. He'd gone from feeling sick to feeling faint. The nearest guards were enjoying this scene playing out, not to mention some of the inmates that Monsoon had failed to forge lifelong friendships with, this being most of the inmates. To be fair, they were just reacting badly to his previous career choices and the impact it had had on their liberty. With what looked like some reluctance, Priva pulled the scope out in one go and slapped a bioplaster on the wound. Despite everything, Priva had her professional pride and would not be accused of failing to perform her duties to the letter. Priva looked at Monsoon's ashen, pain-filled face and smiled. She pressed on her medical pad and spoke softly. Monsoon Jackson, prison ID 2806-4212. Internal examination, first stage. Bad news, the machine missed it, but he's not got long left to live. There are several patches that will soon form intergrowths. My recommendation is a second, more intrusive and brutal examination, but that'll need hospital equipment. There's a chance Monsoon may begin to experience blackouts and incredible chest pains if this isn't addressed, so really it's on the prison warden's opinion. Of someone I know will have upset him greatly on a number of occasions. Let's hope that assessment doesn't go badly or Monsoon will die. Priva waved Monsoon up and away. He stood unsteadily and grabbed the edge of the chair. He was not in a good way. You're done. Go. I have other patients to see. One's more deserving of help. Monsoon staggered away towards the exit. Something wasn't right. His breathing was laboured. He fell against the wall, fighting to stay upright but his strength left him. He slid to the floor, clutching at his chest, gasping for air. Monsoon was turning blue before the guards finally decided they'd better do something. They sounded the alarm and waved everyone out of the area. The doors shut and locked. One of the guards got Priva's attention and pointed down at Monsoon's barely breathing body. She shrugged back at them, then paused. With annoyance, she threw her tools down and walked over to review this adventure of the dying ex-detective. Then Priva looked at the senior guard. Well, what do you expect me to do? The guard suddenly realized all eyes were on him. It wasn't so much a moral sense of duty, but the thought of filling out the forms that lurched him into action. He called for assistance and Monsoon's lifeless body was lifted up. At that point, the guard was no longer sure what to do. He looked over at Priva, pleading, using his eyes to plead with her to do something, anything, to not make this his problem. Priva sighed and opened an emergency hoverboard that bobbed gently five feet above the ground. Before she could press the landing button, the guards had hoisted Monsoon up and dropped him onto the board. Close enough. Monsoon was still, his breathing faint and irregular. But Priva did nothing. She stood, waiting. All of the guards were now looking at her. They weren't bothered if he died, but the thought of having to undergo more customer training, which always followed an avoidable prisoner death, was more than they could bear. Fortunately, most deaths had been unavoidable, but they couldn't escape the training this time. 
It was the latest trend in not taking responsibility. Fine, I'll take him back for emergency scans and hospitalization. Which guards are coming with me? As per the rules. They all looked round. They liked it here. Four good meals a day and as much streaming as they liked. None of them wanted to miss the next series of procedural show 42. Panicking, they pushed the nearest guard towards Priva and all collectively took a step back. Before the red-topped guard could respond, Priva had grabbed his arm. Take him to the ship. I need to pack up and follow you. The guard fumbled around, hoping he could come up with a compelling reason why it shouldn't be him. Go! Now! Unless you want to fill out all of the terminal forms. The guard pushed the board with sudden vigour. The other guards made a hole for him, making sure they were well out of arm's reach and could not be mistaken for trying to help. The door to the port was opened, and the guard hurried through with Priva close behind him. She was used to packing up quickly and moving on. The craft took off immediately, leaving some ex-inmates stranded at the port as they'd yet to be processed. You had to hope they hadn't made any brash leaving statements as they'd now be returned to general population for a few weeks until the next medical checkup was due. As an emergency, Priva was afforded some privacy away from the freshly released inmates. The last thing the prison warden needed was someone claiming emotional distress on their first day of freedom. Priva attended absent-mindedly to Monsoon. He was fading away, mainly because no one was that interested in saving him. She plugged a range of boxes into his augmentations and began her analysis. The guard was relaxing, knowing with certainty that, at this point, his death was nothing at all to do with him. He was then shocked back into concentration by Priva. Hold this. No, you need to lean over. The tube isn't long enough. No, lean over. Lean over and tug. Keep pulling until that tube can connect with the red tube. Yes, you understand? Grab it with both hands if that helps. The guard was cowed into subservience and dutifully leaning over Monsoon trying to stretch the tube to reach. In one swift movement, Priva injected him with a chemical concoction that mimicked alcohol. It was similar to an entire night out crammed into a two-second feeling and came with the same impact. The guard slumped to the floor. Priva pressed the buttons and various fluids began pumping into Monsoon. After a minute of inactivity, Monsoon burst into life clutching at his chest. He looked directly at Priva, who'd not moved an inch in this unnecessary display by an attention-seeking man. Bio-readouts are in the green. Looks like he's alive. Monsoon clutched feebly at Priva and then collapsed backwards. Being nearly dead was a lot less fun than you could ever imagine. Priva leaned over and whispered into his ear. Passcode is LV-426. Don't forget that or she will kill you. Priva checked on the guard. He'd be fine, though very much unemployed by the time they'd finished with him. If they really didn't like him, he might even serve time for this failure to secure prisoner transport. But that was his problem. He'd made his choices of how to treat others, even if he never knew there'd be a test later in life. That's why ultimately being who you are was very much your choice, and you needed to face up to that 
and stop claiming absolutely everything else in the world was to blame except you. Color was returning to Monsoon. She pulled the pipes out of him to wake him up. He woke with a start. Then he got up and studied Priva for a moment. She looked back sternly. I have my reasons. She threw a spare last day as a prisoner outfit she'd acquired at Monsoon. Change into that and blend in when the craft arrives at port. You won't have long before they realize what's gone wrong and shoot you in the head, as the criminal scum you are, even in the testicles for good measure, to make sure you're definitely dead this time. I wanted to... Priva cut him short. I said I have my reasons. Now leave. It's what you do best. Monsoon opened, then closed his mouth. He knew now was not the time. Even he knew that. That was saying something. The craft landed. Monsoon used his skills to blend in and made his way out through the port, avoiding the security checks. They always put that right in front of you, even though there were a load of doors and corridors on the way you could slip down if you actually thought about it for a moment. Monsoon had made Planet 4. He slipped away through a maintenance door. Meanwhile, Priva stabbed herself with a smaller dose of the same concoction the guard was sleeping off. They'd both be found soon. They'd been outwitted by a dangerous animal. And so, the open season hunt would begin in earnest. With my thanks, this episode was voiced by Adam Roach as the narrator and the voice of Monsoon Jackson with Heather Dent Cowan as the voice of the adverts, with additional voices by myself and Michelle Duncan as Priva. Written and edited by Andy Case for Motif Productions Limited, copyright 2020.